Welcome to the Fram Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is our Out of the Park podcast series, special edition, Pathways, Faith, Living Out the Word. If you enjoy our programming and would like to see more of it, consider a donation at www.framparkcenter.org. Welcome, Dr. Mike Hegeman. Thank you. This is our foundational course focusing on the four pillars, Bible, Faith, Dialogue, and World. In this course, we are exploring how the Word of God inspires faith, what faith is, and how we live out the faith that God creates in us. So, let's talk about faith. Faith is a necessary component of life, believe it or not. Each day we get up, we have to have a certain amount of faith just to make it through the day. We have faith that the sun will come up. We have faith that water will come out of the faucet. We have faith that we'll make it through the day. We have to have faith. But maybe we don't talk about what gets us through the day as faith. We might simply say, I trust that everything's going to turn out all right. I believe that I'm going to make it to tomorrow. Sometimes we shy away from talking about faith. Well, as we might expect, though, the Bible talks about faith quite a bit. From the first book to the last, faith permeates Scripture. We hear about it from the ancient authors of Genesis. Abraham had faith in God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Uh, The prophets say, the righteous one will live by faith. Jesus in the gospel says, everything is possible for one who has faith. From the pen of the apostle Paul, we hear, live by faith, not by sight. And from Revelation, the final book of scripture, we hear the call, hold fast to the faith of Jesus. In this session, we are talking about what faith is, what we learn about faith from the scriptures, and what we're actually doing when we do faith. Let's start at the very beginning. Now, as we've said, faith is a pretty common word. We use it all the time, and it is foundational for Christian understanding and practice. But what is faith? When we first hear about faith in the Bible, it's related to this guy Abraham back there in Genesis. And it says that Abraham had faith in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So in this instance, faith means trust. Abraham formed a trusting relationship with God and God thought that that was pretty good. This means that faith is not just a mental action, but a gut-felt conviction that is put into action. One's faith guides how one will act. Now, what Abraham was choosing to trust was that God would provide for him and for his family. And Abraham chose to act as if this were true. Abraham lived as if God would follow through. That's faith acting as if what we have put our trust in is actually true. Faith actually starts with God. Because God is faithful, 
Because time and time again God shows up in trustworthy ways, human beings can venture an act of faith in something, in someone unseen. Because of God's faithfulness, we have faith. Because God is trustworthy, we can have trust. Now, when we jump to the New Testament, we encounter the word faith quite a bit. We hear, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And you were saved by grace through faith. And when the New Testament talks about faith, we can use the word that is used there in two more equally good ways. We can say trust or belief. We can substitute these words whenever we encounter faith and hear scripture in new ways. Abraham trusted God. Abraham believed God. I like to think that the three words, faith, trust, and belief, cover the whole range of what we can do when we do faith. Think of the head as the place where belief happens. Perhaps the gut is where trust happens. Maybe it's the heart where faith happens. The head, the heart, and the gut are all involved when we're doing faith. Thinking and reasoning, engaging, committing, entrusting, intuiting, acting. Faith is a whole body-mind-spirit activity. And God meets us in our faithful acting. One of the most striking stories of faith in the New Testament comes from the Gospel accounts. From the book of Mark, we hear of Jesus' encounter with a woman who is praised for her remarkable faith. Now it says in the fifth chapter of Mark, As Jesus was going about healing, a great crowd pressed in on him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once... Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This woman is praised for her faith. But I've always wondered, what part of this woman was doing the faithing? The passage we heard says, She thought, if I just touched his garment... But the original Greek text says that she was saying, if I just touch his garments. Did she say this out loud or just to herself? 
Was she faithing in her mind? Was she faithing with some outward action? Actually taking steps to enact faith by touching Jesus' garment? In this story, faith is a combination of thinking and saying, professing out loud, and acting on a gut-level wager. The unnamed woman in the crowd put her faith, trust, belief into action, moved forward, daring to believe that God's healing power would come through Jesus, and being bold enough to risk touching the hem of Jesus' garment. She knew, she understood on a gut level, that healing would come. And it did. Now, there is no formula for doing faith. We can't say, add one part head and one part heart and one part gut, mix them all up and take action, and now you've got faith. Just when we think we might figure out exactly how faith works, we'll hear another story from Scripture that shakes it all up. There was this other time when Jesus was teaching and some people brought a paralyzed friend to him for healing. But they couldn't get to Jesus because there was such a big crowd. So they climbed up onto the roof and they tore up the tiles and lowered their friend down to Jesus. Jesus healed the man, but not because of the man's faith, but because of the faith of his friends. Faith in this story is clearly relational and action-oriented. These four friends were moved by compassion to help their friend. And Jesus saw how determined and committed they were. Jesus saw the actions they took, and not as a reward, but as a response to their compassionately committed faith, healing occurred. Faith, faith with all capital letters, was in the room. Trust, with all capital letters, was coming through the roof, and belief was challenged and rewarded and brought about change. Jesus was the healer at the center of the healing. Jesus was the center around whom faith happened. Jesus was the catalyst of faith around him. Jesus' own faith that God was up to something. Catalyzed faith, inspired faith in others. And God's healing occurred. The doing of faith has no precise formula. Jesus himself says, If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. I am grateful that we don't have to get the formula exactly right, because God is the one who makes faith happen. So we take our mustard seed of faith, perhaps surrounded by doubts, but we take that mustard seed and we take action, we plant it, and we see what God will do to make it grow. Faith, bringing together trust and belief, bringing together the head and the heart and the gut, and we do something, trusting in what God, too, will do.
In the third part of our Out of the Park podcast, we welcome Bernard England of Mercury Studios to come into our conversation about faith and today, especially the connection between faith and salvation. Welcome, Bernard. Mike, Mike, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for, uh, thanks for giving us what you just gave us. It was a lot to unpack there, but a lot to kind of dive into. Um, one thing for sure, you, you spoke a lot about faith and salvation. Has anyone ever made you question your faith or made you question your salvation? You know, I grew up in a tradition, a church tradition that really didn't talk about salvation very much. You know, they talked about the love of God a lot, talked about Jesus. And the message we got all the time was God loves you. And the, the emphasis more was on what does God's love inspire you to do and to be. And so it wasn't until I went away to college and I encountered a Christian tradition different from my own. And these folks were really interested in salvation. I mean, I knew that because that's what they talked about all the time. Right? They would meet you for the first time and they'd say, Mike, hi, Mike. It's so nice to meet you. Mike, are you saved? And it wasn't a, it wasn't a vocabulary that was comfortable for me to, to use or talk right, about. Right. And so, yeah. And so I was always like, um, yeah. I mean, I had to think about that. I said, well, you know, that's what Jesus did or that's what God did through Jesus a long time ago. And, and so that was the first time of thinking, wait, what, what is this salvation thing? You know, and how does it, how does it relate to my own life? And so I had to learn, sometimes I had to learn their way of really listening, saying, what do they mean when they talk about salvation? Right. And over time, that's what I, I kind of figured that too. And I'm sure there were times where thinking, wait, have I got it right? Or have they got it right or wrong? And I, it really did make me kind of deepen, deepen my, um, my searching. And I know that this was college. This was over 30 years ago. And, that question still nags at me, not in the same way as like, oh, I fear for my salvation, but I'm like, what is this thing? What is this salvation right. that's spoken about so much in the in the Gospels? I mean, what is your what what is your own sense of connection between faith and salvation? And I mean, have have you ever questioned your sense of salvation? Well, it, it's interesting because I I think for me it's kind of a, a two part answer, right? I, I think growing up, my family we had our own church. And we, we had the matriarch of the family, Aunt Levy. And, um, you know, she spoke of salvation in a different light than she spoke of faith. And I think as a family, I know personally, I took it as two different things. Faith was this entity that, you know, or this action that you could have as you embark on certain endeavors, certain, you know, adversity you had to go through. Salvation was something completely different that the kids, we didn't think about. It just became, that's for the old folk. That was what, that's what the old folk talked about. How do you get saved? Well, we don't have to do anything right now to be saved. We just got to be kids right now and live through faith. And hopefully at some point we'll experience salvation. So for me, it was just kind of a part A and then part B in terms of faith was part A and then salvation. When you get to a certain age, if you want to embark in that endeavor, that was part B. So listening to you explain it now, it's, Kind of remarkable trying to understand, well, the, the, the two are somewhat one and the same. Um, it's just a matter of perspective and, and how you actually dive into each one. If I had to question my own salvation, I was baptized and I remember thinking, Oh, this is it. This is, this is all we got to do. All right. This is easy. I can, I can do this again on next week and we could probably do it again the week after and we kind of roll with it. But faith was more of a, more profound calling to me. Faith was more of something that I felt as though I had to work on daily. Salvation to me was more, you've got to make these actions during this time when you get older. And I think looking back now or looking at life now, 
understanding that the two are one and the same and they kind of complement each other as, as one uniform uh, one uniform term. You know, I, I appreciate that and seeing how our understanding of salvation and faith can grow over time. And, you know, my first experiences, you know, I said when I went away to college, people kept asking me if I was saved and trying to explain for them wanting right. to know exactly when, when was the date, when was the time. And through this time, though, I think I can be grateful for them because it's made me search deeper for a meaning for salvation that that I could really relate to. And that's why I have, you know, I've found these other other terms that full, fill out salvation for me. Right. Rescue, deliverance, emancipation, liberation, and even healing and wholeness are completely appropriate terms. And I love to put them all together. Anytime I'm talking about salvation, I've got all those other words in my head. And so I can be grateful for what I, when I first experienced people talking about salvation, it was, it felt like a sep- something way that kept them separate from me. Like the same, okay, you're yeah. either in or you're out. Yeah, right? exactly. And your salvation, they say, well, they question my salvation, I'm sure, all the time because it didn't match their picture. Right. But the whole, all those conversations really drove me into a deeper searching for what is it that God is really doing in the world and what was God doing in Jesus Christ and what does God continue to do in Jesus? So, right. And it's interesting because I, I feel like now we can almost have a conversation in terms of what, what terms and what words do we use and our understanding of, of life and faith and, and God and our pursuit and, and whatever we're pursuing. And it's almost a, a conversation of what tools we can grab out of the tool bag, right? Like the, the conversation of what verbs or what words we use as kids that we now use as adults. It's almost as if you're choosing what tool you can use to perfect your understanding. And salvation for me was one of those things that you're not going to use that hammer until you're of age to use that hammer. You just use the screwdrivers that mom and dad gave you, faith. And I think, you know, as we get older, this idea of, of where our perception of faith comes from, you know, adds so much light to what tools we can now use. What words are we using now? And why didn't we use those words then? Well, our experiences have shaped, you know, what we're open to understanding. And I think certain terms resonate more with us now that, you know, We've had more experiences, at least from, for myself. I know for me, there are some things I just didn't understand, you know, 10 years ago. And now it's like, oh, well, I had to live through a couple different things in order to understand a little bit differently. So, uh, so. I, th- I think that's right that uh, throughout our life, our life experiences can give dimension to a lot of these words that, you know, we use it. We have a lot of Christian terminology, you right. know, Christian words that are only usually used in, uh, in Christian circles. And so entering into that world, we have to figure out that those terms, like the word righteousness. I mean, yeah. that word righteousness is really almost exclusively used in Christian circles or with yeah. Christian understanding. And so uh, to look at that, that interconnection between faith and salvation and righteousness, these are big words. And at the heart of it, though, is I have to say what connects them all is love, right? right. That gift of God that, that God is gracious enough in saying, you're never going to get this right. So yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to do it for you. I'm in a sense of, but to live in loving response to what God is doing. Right. Yeah. So on, on the topic of words, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of words were said. Word, the words saved and healed were used interchangeably. Uh, what, what sort of modern day example would be similar to the woman who hemorrhaged for 12 years there, right? When we talk about saved and healed, I understand one word saved as 
a certain meaning and I understand healed as a different meaning in my head. But as you explained it, the two were kind of used interchangeably. Can you uh, kind of dive into that a little? Yeah, I could. You know, what's what's tricky about this is today is that, you know, we have a lot of people who read this story and other stories of healing in the Bible. And they look to them with faith. Right. And they said, and then at some point in their life, they experience the, an extreme illness of some kind and cancer or some other illnesses, you know, that is long term. And they're turning, they've read the story. They said, this woman had faith. Maybe if I just had enough faith right. and if I touched the hem of Jesus garment and then I will be saved or healed from my disease. And the, the problem, you know, we just name it as a problem is, Many times or sometimes that folks aren't healed and they have to go, they go through these long, sometimes short illnesses, but long illnesses where their quote unquote salvation or being healed doesn't look like anything that they wanted or intended. And so I have to say where I shift then even beyond the sense of healed versus saved is looking towards wholeness because, uh, believe it or not, the word healed and the word heal and whole actually come from the same roots in, oh. in English language. And they, they, they kind of look towards the same thing, but I tend towards the sense of wholeness. How, how is it even in my unwellness, my sickness, can I experience God's wholeness, God's salvation here and now? And for me, then I have to shift towards understanding, oh, I am whole in God's sight. I'm whole in, you know, I'm, yes, I may be experiencing pain and discomfort and the sadness of, of letting go of so many things. But if I can hold on to God's vision for me, which is I am whole in God's sight. I am complete. My body, mind, spirit, this, this wonderful, amazing being that God has created is whole. Um, even though I, it's hard to feel it all the time, right. but to know that at the heart level is to say, ah, there is my salvation. Um, there is my wholeness in, in God's love for me and not just for me, but for others and somebody I might be praying for who's not experiencing the healing that I would think of. Uh, I have to say this person is whole in God's eyes. And it may be even like I may worry about somebody's salvation. You know, somebody I think, oh, they're not, fo-, you know, they're not following God's ways or they don't trust in Jesus or that. And I have to say, ah, that's from my perspective or, and I said, I'd never want, I wouldn't want my view of how somebody is acting to, to ever sense of question that God still loves that person. Right. And that, that, that person actually is whole in God's eyes. And when I can see that, or at least trust that at some level, I can trust that person to God. And so. You know, I'm trying to think of a very specific, I can't think of a specific situation where, no, no, oh, I mean, I know it's but people who have experienced seemingly miraculous healing in this right. life. And I would say, and sometimes that leads them into deeper faith. And so I'd say, yeah, there's your connection between healing and salvation, but it's bigger than all that too. Do you think that it's, can one get a sense of, of healing without being saved? And to double down on that question, do you think it's easier to feel healed in, in the ether of, of all the pain that one can undergo? Do you feel as though it's easier to get a sense of, I feel healed if you're, you're first understand that you're saved? Can one not feel like they're not saved and they're, they've already taken a step away from faith and also get a sense of, okay, I feel healed by this? You know, I, I really can if I keep expanding that word saved to right. all those other terms, you know, 
deliverance, liberated, emancipated. And some people have to define for themselves what is it from which God has delivered them. Right. Somebody might be, it might be depression, it might be sadness or grief or addiction, or there's many ways in which to be liberated, you know, in this life. And so if I say, you know, what is what does healing look like? What does salvation look like? Ah, it's continually stepping towards that that bigger picture that God says, in my sight, you are whole. Right. And so I th- I don't I don't know if that got, totally got to the answer of your question, but it's no like, no it did it yeah. did more and more right. Uh, the the salvation access through faith is a gift of God. You said what what does that mean to you when we say the salvation is accessed and it's accessed through faith. When we say it's a gift from God, what, what does all that mean? <laughs> now, this is where we try to unpack all that, all that theological talk. Right, right, right. right. You know, um, the word grace, as it comes to us, uh, it really means gift. That's okay. what it, the, the, you go back into the, you know, to the biblical words. There are two words very closely related. Um, yeah, charis, charis, and charisma. One we translate as grace, one we translate it as gift, but they're rooted in the same thing. And so we get this fancy word of grace, you know, when we sing about it, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And not realizing that, uh, that the word at the heart of it means free gift. And so I think, and I, I think about those people that worry and struggle so much about saying, am I worthy? Right. And, it may be too easy sometimes to say, yes, you're worthy, because many of us, most of us have to, on some level, experience um, acceptance. And sometimes acceptance comes uh, from other people in the, the community of faith, the church. Sometimes that acceptance comes from different places. But ultimately, all of those little moments of acceptance in one's life, I would hope, point us to a greater sense of being completely, utterly, and wholly, um, you know, accepted by God. And so to say the, the, you know, that salvation access through faith is a gift means that that's what grace means to me is that if something breaks into my life when I least expect it, when I least think that I'm worthy of it, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it comes as acceptance. The sense of God completely and utterly says, you are my child. You are my beloved. And so that's where, and sometimes it has to break in, you know, to, to be felt like. And that's what grace feels like. It interrupts everything. You know, we've got blinders on in the world and we're just going. We've got our heads down. We got our, we're working. We're going. And um, a moment, something happens where we experience love and we know ourselves a little more accepted. Mm-hmm. That's that's that gift and if we can in that moment turn to it and say there's something bigger than myself and i trust in that that's the faith that's self that's ourself that's moving towards the sense of what salvation is as a free gift of god so when we say faith isn't transactional right? <laughs> like there's there's no give and take in terms of once you once god gives me this level of faith then i can then give him this or i have to give this first and then i get faith what you're saying is faith inevitably is the gift just the act, just the art of giving faith is the gift, and there is no transaction that needs to happen before you experience faith. And that's that's hard because some of the some of the scriptures sometimes seem to point us in that direction. Right. Like we'd say Abraham had faith, and God accounted it to him as righteousness. And uh, the um, it sounds like 
because of Abraham's faith, that somehow it was logged up enough faith to be considered for him to be righteous and hear righteous to be saved. All these, all these things are connected, seem to sound connected. So it does, there are moments when it does sound like faith is transactional. You have, if you just keep logging enough faith yeah, at a certain point, you're going to, right, way. right. We're yeah. programmed in our world to think that way. And, uh, there's 10 levels to every video game. Once I get to the end, <laughs> I, then I give faith, right? Right, it's the right. The final chapter. That's, I think that's a really good analogy. The sense of, you know, we, we're always looking for the next level. Right. And somehow that ties into our sense of how good we are, too. The, how how good worthy we are. are we? How worthy, yeah. And so, um, and the, I think the bigger story of faith is that it, it breaks in when we least expect it. Right. It, it all of a sudden, and it's, and for some people, has nothing to do with our worthiness. We think about the Apostle Paul, who was, when he was, when he called himself Saul, and he was persecuting the early Christians, uh, he didn't do anything worthy for God to break into his life. Right. You know, that's like faith interrupted his life. Boom, you know. Uh, you know, if that story of he just completely, there was nothing that he did to warrant God's gift of, of, of presence, God showing up in his life in this dramatic way. Um, he certainly did a lot after that point in response to God's, you know, mm-hmm. God coming into his life. But I wouldn't say, I mean, that's one case in which you say, if you, you had enough faith, you get this free gift. Yeah. 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 That's the, the free gift of God. It might, sometimes in our life, it might feel like that. But I would always say the free gift of God is something that's always available. We just have to wake up to the fact that it's there. All right. Yeah. And uh, one thing that the salvation checklist you spoke about. Mm-hmm. What's on that list for you? Is this is this your oh, uh, is this your yeah. Christmas list? Is how's this work? Is this <laughs> December twenty fourth and <laughs> waiting that last hour? Well, I I mean I may just so get ready. I might turn that question back to you too. Right. Right. But to say this was that. You know, when I, like I said, when I first encountered people whose vocabulary was centered, solely centered around salvation, mm-hmm. um, and I know when they asked me that question, are you saved? They were looking for a, a checklist of beliefs, and they were looking for a checklist of what have you done? Have you, did you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I mean, they have a formula. Yeah. And none of that ever made sense to me as far as I, I, I didn't want to, distill the world of faith down to a set of checklists, a checklist. But certainly I've developed a kind of, I would say, a response to how I've experienced faith Mm -hmm. and this bigger thing I call salvation. You know, well, I don't just call it salvation. (laughs) The bigger thing that we call salvation. Mm -hmm. And so at the heart of it, um, I look to say, oh, for me, the most important thing that when I kind of as a approach to faith was encountering Jesus as the light of the world. And that was what that meant. That image meant more to me than any other image when I was younger, because I could say, wow, I experienced my own kind of darkness, yeah. you know, and through, you know, whether it's, you just call it teenage angst or genuine depression as a teenager, right. I don't know. But but what came is a sense of God breaking into my world and re- and as light. Yeah. And so the light of that, that was like central to that. And then very closely related to that is, is love. I mean, the love of Jesus Christ. And it's just a, and it's not a, a sentimental love. This is a powerful, this is a, a world creating, world upending, death shattering yeah. uh, love. 
And so those were the things. It says, what are the core of my, on my salvation checklist, I would say, um, experiencing the grace of God as the, as an inbreaking light and, uh, and, a, and, a, and an all embracing love. But one that challenged me, that really challenged me then to say, how do I live in response to that love? That kind of amazing, you know? And so that's, but I, I maybe I live now maybe too much on that side of I create, <laughs> yeah. I, I keep going, uh, am I living up to yeah. that, that wonderful gift that I've been giving? And so given. And so I think, yeah, I do, I do struggle with that sometimes. Like, but maybe that's my major motivator each day. How am I living in loving response to God's gift of grace so how about yourself what do you do you think are there things that make your a sense of you know either maybe a faith checklist and saying what are the most important things on that faith checklist at at its core this is hard um this this sense of of peace is is overwhelmingly resounding at, at the core for me i think when i think about faith this peace and freedom do i can i achieve this 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 level or this what the levels of video games right so can i get to that that 10th or 11th level where i'm just at peace with all that's around me i think so much you get caught up in what's what's a gift that you have or what are the gifts that you you're trying to to get to so that you can recognize yourself as something different and i think just the art of living in peace is is something that I want to get to. Just the freedom to to live amongst myself, with myself, in in every endeavor. I think so many times when, for me personally, you're so competitive in so many different things, and you get to a certain point where you're just like, are you are you at ease with where you are personally? And I think for me, that's that's my goal. I think I, I've always kind of, you know, kind of been reaching that goal i think even as a kid you know you spoke about like teenage angst we all i think go through a certain poor portion of that especially you know these are almost the most impressionable times in our lives right so those are the ones that you almost look back to how did i get through that level of adversity and i've always been blessed you know with wonderful support systems everywhere i've gone so i i always look back at those weird eerie times of adversity and say did i do enough to learn enough Right. Like that I do enough in that that low era to know that I've learned everything that needs to be learned in that situation. I've always been blessed to know that every situation, no matter how good, no matter how bad, is an opportunity to learn. But I think where where I usually get caught up in is, okay, did I do enough that I learned enough in that situation? Because it's going to come up again. Right. So when it comes up again, did you learn enough from your past experience to know how to handle the next experience so that it goes over a little bit smoother? So just the peace of mind is, you know, what? What I'm looking for on my checklist, you know, once I get to that point where I can actually feel there's nothing that can be thrown at me that I can't walk through it. And every day you kind of wake up with the same, you know, acceptance that I can handle the day, right? But there's this little, this little part of you in, in every day that, but what if you get thrown this curveball? Can you handle it? And, you know, the competitor in you wants to just dive after it. But at a certain point, I would imagine that it's not even going to matter. There's, there is nothing that can be, no, no weapon formed against me, right? So I, I think that's at the core of my checklist. That, that's what I'm waiting for. That's what I'm working towards. 
I don't know if that answers the question. No, I think I did. You know, we're you know so many ways of approaching all of this, and as we as you know, kind of jump come into kind of closing up our our time today, but thinking about, I love that you brought up peace because it it's connected to that other element that brings salvation, faith, um, and righteousness together was forgiveness. Right. And we heard that in the prodigal son story. You know, we heard this guy, you know, this, this kid is coming and he's, tr- he's formulating his whole, you know, uh, spiel, his whole kind of sense of, oh, dad, I was, I was wrong. I did the terrible things, all this stuff. And he doesn't really even get a chance to, he, he, I mean, he's saying these things, but the father is not even really listening. The father's already planning the party before the son ever gets those things out. The father is just so gracious. So glad the son has even come back into that, his sphere. I mean, he steps onto the property and God's already throwing a party. You know, I mean, God runs out there. So what I left to remember is that forgiveness and genuine forgiveness is, I mean, beyond the mind blowing kind of forgiveness is, um, is something that, that's, I think it's deeply connected to peace. And I'll have to think a little bit more about that. The sense of when I am not feeling peaceful, maybe I either have not forgiven someone or I have not forgiven myself yeah. or experience, allowed God to experience God's forgiveness. And so you're giving me something to think about, that that, right. that, that connection between peace, forgiveness and peace. And, and all those two are things we could add into our, our salvation, uh, you know, check you know, our salvation list of what all the component parts of salvation. And I think ultimately the sum of the parts is uh, is, wait, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts on this. Salvation right. is something bigger than we could ever, uh, kind of pull, pull apart and analyze here. But I'm gracious, I'm grateful for your time just to kind of think through some of these issues. Thank you very much, Bernard. Please tune in for, uh, another session here of the Out of the Park podcast series. If you enjoy our programming and would like to see more of it, consider a donation at www dot frampark center dot org